You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our AIB Market Update on Tuesday, the 3rd of August. I'm Paul Ward from our Customer Treasury Unit and I'm joined this week by AIB's Chief Economist, Oliver Mangan, to discuss recent developments on the financial markets. Good morning, Ollie. Good morning. Uh, there's, there's certainly a summer feel to the markets at the moment, you might agree, uh, with the main currency pairs remaining in very tight, narrow ranges. Uh, you might give us your thoughts on where we're at, Ollie, and where we go from here. Yeah, well, as you say, the, the, the currency pairs are remain within very narrow ranges, all the main exchange rates. Uh, having said that, though, looking back over July, it was it was a month that was nervous tone to markets. Uh, we've seen a big increase in new COVID cases, you know, the Delta variant in many economies, including our own. And, you know, we've had very strong forecasts from all the major agencies, you know, the OECD, the IMF, the ECB, our own here, Central Bank, etc., on very strong growth for this year, next year, and even into 2023. And obviously, rising numbers of new cases pose some downside risk to that. And uh, I suppose that's manifested itself in a more nervous tone to stock markets. No, no stock markets are, are at very, very high levels, but there's been a a lot more volatility during July, yeah. uh, even though the earnings have come through particularly very strong in the States for the t- the tech companies, etc. So the earnings have held up, but a more nervous tone there. Iranian bond markets, what I mean by that is falling bond yields, even though inflation has risen. Um, yeah. you, you normally see a rise in inflation is usually a bugbear for bond markets, and you see rising yields and rising interest rates. Interest rates, so yields have fallen, and also markets scaling back in terms of the amount of rate hikes to see over the next number of years. So a more cautious tone to uh, to the markets over July. Uh, but that didn't really spill over to the currency markets. I mean, they've remained within uh, very, very narrow ranges and have, you know, for most of this year, that, that's been the case. There was an interesting update from the IMF last week, a, a quarterly update yeah. um, on the outlook for the global economy. And it did stick to its forecast of very strong growth for the global economy this year. Um, you know, forecast 6% in April, repeated that in, in its end July forecast. But within that, it upgraded the forecast for the advanced economies, you know, the States, the UK, the Eurozone, etc., and downgraded its forecast for developing economies. And why, 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 Ollie? Is that got to do with just... It had this very interesting line. It says it said that the access to vaccines has emerged as a principal fault line along which the world economy is split into two blocks. And where, you know, the role of the vaccines is well advanced, economies can expect a normalisation of their economic activity by the end of the year. But on the other hand, and we're talking here about emerging economies, the economic recovery is lagging in many developing economies because mm. the vaccination rates are low. There's still have high infection numbers, rising number of COVID cases, etc., and rising number of deaths, and obviously uh, restrictions on economic activity as a result. So, I mean, the, the IMF, and it's not the first time it said this, it said, you know, the number one priority has to be to step up the global program of mass vaccination because it says it's it, it stuck with its forecast say for global growth but it says the risk to the downside and it's concerned about you know if a large part of the world population remains unvaccinated we could have new you know vaccine resistance strains of the virus develop and undermine the recovery in economic activity and obviously the recovery in public health so it says it's in everybody's interest to ensure that we have a worldwide campaign uh, yeah. certainly by next year to vaccinate the world population and you know we seem to be a long way off that and markets i mean that came at the very end of the month so i mean that didn't drive markets but you can see within markets that the rise in the number of new cases even though it hasn't translated into higher rates of uh, or much higher rates of hospitalization or deaths still is a cause of concern and uh, the slow rollout of vaccines globally 
is a concern for markets. So notwithstanding the good data and the, the favourable growth prospects and the good, you know, we, we've, we've seen the earnings results now, particularly in the States, being very strong in quarter two for a lot of the corporates. Markets have had that nervous tone in, in the last number of weeks. And can I ask you, Ollie, just in terms of like we've seen over the last couple of weeks in terms of central banks, and we'll get to the Bank of England shortly because I know they're meeting next week. But just in general with central banks, there's definitely um, across the board, they're in no hurry to, to tighten. And my, my sense is that the markets have scaled back even their own expectations of what's going to happen with interest rates. Would you agree with that or what do you well, think? I have. I, was saying, yeah. I, yeah, I mentioned that there and you're right. We've had, we had, sorry, we had the Fed last week. We had the, the, the ECB the previous week and we'll have the Bank of England on Thursday and we'll get yeah. to that in a minute. But both the Fed, I mean, the Fed was, despite, you know, forecasts of 7% growth in the US economy this year and a very sharp pickup in inflation to over 5%, you know, that the Fed was still not, you know, even in a position even to signal to markets when it might start to withdraw its its monetary stimulus in terms of what I mean by that it's not rate hikes scale down these asset purchases this QE program yeah uh, and you know the, the Fed will first of all signal that to markets and then it probably give them you know four to six months before it even commences that so the meeting passed a no great indic- it, it said you know it just said we're making progress but we're still some way from where we could start to withdraw the, the monetary stimulus the, the the ECB was even more dovish in terms yeah. of its new inflation target is 2%, and it set fairly high benchmarks to meet that 2% uh, target on a sustainable basis. Uh, and on the back of that, I mean, you know, the markets are at this stage looking for the first rate hike in the Eurozone by 2024. But given the, the you know, the, the, the new inflation forecast is 2%, yeah. and the forecast from the ECB are an inflation rate of, I think it's 1.5 in 2022, 1.4 in 2023, or thereabouts. You know, on that basis, you know, you wouldn't be seeing rate hikes even in 2024 because once once inflation to get to two percent and stay there, yeah, and there's no sign of that happening. And again, the message from all the central banks is: sure, inflation is rising this year, but it's a temporary phenomenon. Inflation will fall back next year. It's been driven by the reopening of economies, upper pressure on commodity prices, supply constraints in terms of capacity constraints. Uh, shipping constraints, all putting some upper pressure on commodity prices, etc. And this will pass as production ramps up. So they remain convinced that the rise in inflation this year will be temporary and there are no mood to even signal that they could move monetary policy on that basis. So yeah. markets are looking at, you know, so that's given the bond investors some comfort in terms of buying into what are low bond deals that they won't, you know, the rates are not going up. So on that basis, the bond market looks attractive, especially if you're nervous about stock markets. Yeah. Uh, and the bond market has done well in uh, July. So you have the combination of nervous stock markets and continuing signals from the central banks that have met so far that they are in no rush to tighten policy at all. Grand. And Ollie, just in terms of the Eurozone then as well, um, like the head, the headline EC economic sentiment index rose to its highest level on record. Seems very encouraging on the face of it, but, uh, What's your what's your thoughts or what's your sense? Yeah, and that is consistent with the PMI data we've seen on the eurozone, very very strong for July. Yeah. So now, it, I would say that the, the eurozone is important to bear in mind. The eurozone is lagging the US and the UK in terms of the recovery, um, okay. yeah. particularly the US. So it's got more catching up to do, and it's mm-hmm. only in the recent months. And we're seeing this in Ireland as well. You know, the PMI indicators have been very strong in yeah. recent months. You know, we had fresh lockdowns in Europe in the early part of the year. So that's now opening up and that's been reflected in the strength of the rebound in activity. Remember those PMIs and sentiment indicators? They don't tell you what the level of activity is, but they're telling you what the pace of activity is. So it's rising rapidly from low levels. And, you know, Eurozone growth will not be as strong this year as the U.S., 
I mentioned, you know, the UK could be at a 7% growth rate. The US could be at a 7% growth rate. The Eurozone's more likely to be around 4.5%. Uh, okay. it's, it's later coming to the party here uh, in terms of the recovery because the restrictions were in place for much of the first half of the year. And obviously, the, sl- the slow roll of vaccines in the earlier months has delayed the recovery in the Eurozone economy compared to elsewhere. Okay, and if I just finally just flip across back across the water to uh, the US, Ollie, just two things here. One, there's the payrolls obviously due um, on Friday. And I know from last week, US force estimate of Q2 GDP missed on the downside uh, in terms of its expectations. Just any thoughts in relation to the US? Yeah, well, first of all, in terms of the GDP, uh, analysts weren't normally concerned about that because it was actually a rundown of inventories. So okay. demand held up. So it, it goes back to the, to, to the capacity constraints, the, the, the delays in getting supplies, goods in. So stores are running down their existing stocks, but they're finding it hard to replenish it. Uh, there's delays yeah. in shipping. There's capacity constraints in shipping. I see reports of difficulties in getting warehouse space to store stuff that's been imported and what have you. Right. So as a result, inventories are are lower than anticipated but as de- sorry as production ramps up they'll be they'll be replenished so that yeah. lost output if you like will be recovered in quarter three or quarter four but yeah. when, you, when you strip out the inventory change right yeah the uh the increase in what we call final spending was uh in line with expectations was quite strong in terms of the payrolls they are an important report and uh, you know there's a lot of data in it and up until, certainly in the earlier part of the summer, there was a concern at the slow pace of recovery in payrolls and employment in the US. Uh, now, that picked up in June. We saw a rise of 850,000. And the forecast is for another very strong increase in July of 925,000. So, again, part of the capacity constraint was that there's a high level of job vacancies in the US uh, this year. But workers were slow to get back into employment. But if that's picking up, you know, it's a capacity constraint easing. So, there'll be a lot of attention on that payroll figure uh, on Friday. And I'd also highlight in the UK as well, we have the Bank of England meeting on Thursday. That will be important. We get uh, their quarterly forecasts. We've had some change in the membership of the MPC. That's the Monetary Policy Council that slides it in straits. We'll see what their views are on the economy, on inflation and on monetary policy. The expectation is we certainly will see upward adjustments to near-term inflation forecasts reflecting the higher than expected spike in, in inflation this year the key thing will be what our forecasts are for inflation in two or three years time yeah. do they still see it being down around two percent you know in around target uh, the expectation is that that's what we will see okay, yeah and then um you know whether that rise in inflation translates to any of the mpc members breaking ranks and maybe maybe voting for an early end to quantitative easing we might get one but i think you know this, this, that's a nine-member council the vast majority the, 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 the QE program, the asset purchase program, is to last for the full year. Uh, it, it, will, it will end in um, December. And really, I think when I look at the UK, the, I mentioned the payrolls in the States, yeah. and I think it's certainly around unemployment. The big question in the UK as well is the, the labour market supports, you know, the furlough schemes end in September. Okay. And it's yeah. then when that ends, it's then in quarter four we'll find what the true level of unemployment in the UK is in the aftermath of this recession. It's actually come down a bit, four point eight percent, but that's because there's you know there's there's millions of workers on these furlough schemes. So when that ends, we will see then who's yeah. back in employment and who's on who's on the on the dole queue, and we'll have a we'll have a good indication then in quarter four. What they, what they call the scarring effects of the damage done by the recession is. And at that stage, then the Bank of England will be much better positioned to give signals in terms of monetary policy. But I think this will be a holding operation. The focus will be on the forecast, uh, particularly yeah. in regard to inflation. And 
I'd be very surprised if the Bank of England doesn't hold fire in, ten, in terms of sending signals until it gets that labour market data for quarter four and how the end of the furlough scheme impacts the labour market and impacts the economy. And, and probably then no event risk for euro sterling um, kind of earmarked for this week. It's been trending higher in the last week or two, but it was trending lower before that. Mm. So, um, you know, unless the surprise, obviously, if the yeah, surprise, surprise yeah. Eastern, um, you know, 85 is a big support level for the euro there. Yeah. Um, so if there's, a, if there's a surprise, it could go through that. But I think the, the, the I don't see why the Bank of England would, would, would move now and send signals. You know, um, if they really believe inflation is temporary and will fall back within the next year or so, that the key the key data to focus are then are, will be those labour market stats when we get them after the furlough scheme has expired at the end of September. Can I ask you one last question, Ollie, just about the UK and Europe in relation to the North of Ireland protocol? Um, I mean, we're, you kind of see it in the background all the time in terms of the UK either talking about renegotiations or not not kind of, uh, I suppose, playing about what they signed up to, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, do, do you see this just being a continuing story in the background over the next couple of years and and? Well, I think it's maybe obviously the European Commission goes into holiday mode for August, but I think it's fair to say that there have been more conciliatory soundings in the last mm. month. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, both sides maybe showing a greater willingness uh, to try and work a solution for this. So I, I don't think it, I'd be disappointed if it lagged on for, for, for years. You'd be hopeful that, let's say, over the closing months of this year, we might see some progress um, in terms of how this can be better implemented and have less yeah. of an impact on, on Northern Ireland trade. You know, goods coming in from... Remember, it's, it's not Northern Ireland exports into Great Britain. It's the goods flowing from Great Britain into Northern Ireland. Yeah. You can see the EU concern. Is it doesn't want that to be a backdoor into um, into the EU markets, the single market. But you can see the concern of the, the UK and Northern Ireland that it wants to minimise the disruption to trade from... Great Britain uh, into Northern Ireland. So it's how we can reach that position where the EU is satisfied that it's it's a it's a secure border uh, yeah. and it's not a back backdoor into the EU market. At the same time, we minimise the disruption to Northern Ireland trade. Yeah. All right, Ali. Many thanks for the update and a big thanks to our customers, colleagues, and listeners for joining us on this week's podcast. To stay up to date with the latest market developments, please subscribe to AB's Market Talk wherever you get your podcasts. For those customers impacted by the pandemic, you can find details of AB support packages at www.aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. Many thanks. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.